Dr. Martin's boots. <laughs> Dr. Martin's boots. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King was a plagiarist. Yeah, that was a turn up for the books for me. I didn't know that. I came across that information accidentally. Uh, yeah, Google it yourself. Yeah, um, but he, he was a dirty big plagiarist. Yeah, which is not necessarily a uh, necessarily a problem for me. Um, you know, it depends um, what matters. In what context, you know, um, that Martin, Dr. Martin's boots, uh, he was uh, a huge inspiration and a, a key figure in the civil rights movement. And in his capacity as that, he got results. And, you know, uh, it kind of doesn't matter, you know, Machiavelli, Machiavelli kind of style. It doesn't matter how he got there, you know, if the root to getting the right results, uh, civil rights-wise, in the 1960s, was, uh, you know, involved plagiarism, then plagiarise, plagiarise away, you know. Um, but, um, but, but it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, apparently, if you go and look up his thesis, here in the 21st century, it's got some note on the top of it saying warning significant portions of this thesis, you know, which which made him a Dr. Martin Luther King instead of a instead of just a Martin Luther King. Um, significant portions of this thing are plagiarized. Excuse me. Um, so um, look, it's just interesting, and it doesn't diminish his. Um, his uh, career as a civil rights inspiration. You know? On that, he remains untarnished. You know, and and as I say, it doesn't matter whether he if he got the right result, civil rights wise. Then, in the civil rights context, uh, yeah, the result is all that matters. Um, Machiavelli style. Uh, and, you know, if he happened to lift goodly portions of his thesis from someone else or from other people and, and not acknowledge them and pass that off as his own work, yeah, and that's probably just ego at work or something, or he just needed the doctorate, you know. Um, uh, I don't know what his doctorate was in. I did read it, but I forget. But it was probably some, knowing him, probably some, probably some um, combination of philosophy and evangelism. I think I, I read something along those lines. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King was philosophy meets politics, meets activism. Activism meets God, meets evangelism. Uh, and... Um, but that got me thinking, you know, now that I know that he's a plagiarist, it, you know, it makes you re-look at other things. And I don't necessarily want to have a crack at Martin Luther King. Well, you already know that I'm not trying to have a crack at Martin Luther King because I just um, complimented him greatly on his results as a civil rights leader. Um, he was good stuff, you know. 
you wouldn't go back in time and take his doctorate away from him because that probably helped him get that credibility that got him to a position that allowed him to be a great civil rights leader. So, you know, if you could go back in time and challenge his thesis, would you? Yeah. While I wouldn't, you know, because he got some good results. Um, it also got him shot, you know, so he might actually choose to have himself challenged, you know, now that he knows what he knows, um, you know, that he, he, he was going to get shot. I think he got shot the year I was born, but it could have been, could have been a couple of years later, I can't remember. And anyway, um, now he might say, oh, <laughs> probably in retrospect, I wish I hadn't got famous because that hurt, <laughs> you know. But um, look, he got the right results. You know? It kind of reminds me of Churchill in that sense. Churchill, um, you know, if I'm going to have a crack at Martin Luther King for being a plagiarist, um, you know, I could have a... Uh, have a go at Churchill for being a, a homicidal maniac. Um, uh, you know, he allowed, well, uh, Google, um, uh, what is it, the famine, Bengal famine, open brackets, Churchill, you know, closed brackets. Um, yeah, he's probably personally responsible for the deaths of a million people, for all I know. Um, and I think that's on the record. And, and the least said about what he did to all our boys at Gallipoli, the better. And all that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, it's hard to be a great man or a great woman without having some faults, without having some flaws, and without being a narcissist and all those sorts of things. You know, you need to be all those things to get the right results. Very few nice people get good results, you know, so you can criticise people all you like for being narcissists or whatever. We need them to be, you know. I'm not a narcissist, but I'm not achieving anything, you know. So what do you want? Do you want Martin Luther King heading up your civil rights sort of movement? Or do you want Charlie heading it up? So, you know, getting up in um, wherever that bloody obelisk is, you know, and saying, G'day everybody, I'm from Australia. And I don't actually care. <laughs> you know, that's not going to work. You know, uh, someone asked me about that today. Or, you know, someone was talking about African Americans, actually. And um, I said, you know, I care about, you know, I, 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 there was an inference there that I don't care much. And, and I said, I disagreed. You know, I said, I do care about African Americans. You know, about as much as I care about Egyptians is what I said. Now, um, yeah, why should they be any more relevant to me? And they're not, you know. Um, but that's not doesn't necessarily make me a bad person. But look, enough on me, because I'm pointless. Let's get back onto these people who are pointed. <laughs> uh, Martin Luther King. Dr. Martin Luther King, and I think he's a legitimate Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, because there was, um, in, in the, well, in the article I saw, someone made the point, yes, he, he plagiarised his thesis and passed it off as his own, passed off the work of other people as his own work, um, you know, but that, uh, from my perspective that might well be a narcissist at play, you know, and um, you know, the very thing that makes him a bad person for doing that was the very thing that made him such a great leader.
Yeah, it's not doesn't it's not necessarily a black mark against his name. It's a black mark. Probably honesty wise. You know, but his aims might have been bigger than truth. Uh, and that can be that can be a thing, you know, that you need to take into consideration. I haven't got a problem with it. Anyway, Martin Luther King, uh, plagiarist. Dirty big plagiarist, right. Um, Winston Churchill, you know, axe-wielding, homicidal maniac, and so on and so forth, you know. All right, so let's get stuck into the great people uh, from our shed. Now, um, but that got me thinking. The fact that he's a, a plagiarist, and it seems clear that he is, if you, if you try and go and get a copy of his thesis, there's a note on it, a formal note, you know, that sort of says something like, um, Martin Luther King, you know, was a dirty big plagiarist. Um, this uh, thesis contains a lot of plagiarism. Uh, he never told us, and then he died, and then we found out later. So, you know, we can't take his, like, doctorate off him, you know, post-mortem. Uh, wrong word, but you know what I mean. Um... But um, um, but we'll put this note on his file, you know, so so you will know, you know, um, and and if you feel like challenging his doctorate and you know not let, not allowing him, you know, and stopping him from being called Doc, Doctor Martin Luther King, uh, I saw a quote from someone say, just leave it alone, yeah, it's Martin Luther King, just leave it alone, don't don't go there, you know, it said something like that, you know. And, and and someone really wise has said that. Don't touch it. You know, if it's anyone else, yeah. But leave Martin Luther King alone because there are other things that matter more than whether he was a dirty, big, fat liar. You know, um, lies, you know, you got to balance things up. So keep calling him Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, maybe if you went back in time, you'd challenge it. And you knew... Um, You'd challenge the thesis, but don't. Leave it alone. Um, yeah. If you find a thesis from someone called Mary Smith or something, challenge that. If she's done the same thing as Martin Luther, Martin Luther King has um, done. Um, so, but um, now, once I found out about that little bit of information, it got me thinking. Yeah. Does Martin Luther King have have the plagiarist's instinct? Yeah, the the plagiarism instinct, and and I started thinking about his speech. I have a dream, and suddenly, the very structure of that speech and the tone, and the grammar, and everything about it, and the words, and the way he delivered it, and everything, inspirational. No doubt about it, um, but uh, it, now that I think about it, you know, it reeked of someone passing off, you know, other people's ideas as his own vision. You know, I have a dream, you know, like this all comes from me. Now, I'm not, you may say I'm making too much of of that angle but I wouldn't be making anything of that angle at all had he not been a dirty big plagiarist you know, in his thesis uh, so he kind of deserves it I suppose and Winston Churchill you know 
deserves some nobody uh, in his shed in 2020 having a crack at him to nobody, you know. Winston Churchill deserves that, and Martin Luther King deserves this. And um, as I think about that speech, I'm thinking, yeah, that has got the plagiarist's spirit, that speech. I have a dream. Well, yeah, all right, we know you, you weren't actually dreaming. You have a dream, all right. But the way he says that whole speech, it's like it's, it's, it's coming from him. And he's had these ideas. But throughout that speech, um, you know, he, he is um, repeating ideas, essentially, and wholly, almost, ideas had by others. Um, uh, principally, I think, if you wanted to trace it back, he's uh, drawing on the thinking of the men and women of the European Enlightenment. You know? And I always find that interesting, you know, with civil rights leaders and all that sort of stuff. Because to a lot of people, it feels like um, all that stuff started in the 60s or the 50s, you know, the 1950s, and maybe back in the 1940s and 30s, you know, the really early ones and all that sort of stuff. But it started back in the, you know, in the 1700s and the 1800s in Europe, you know. That's where the idea for abolishment of slavery was had, way over there. The African-Americans didn't even, you know, it hadn't even occurred to them, the idea of abolishment of slavery, in essence, you know, worldwide abolishment of slavery, you know, that very idea. The whole world believed in slavery, um, so the authors of the abolishment of slavery were people like, you know, John Wesley and Wilberforce, you know, on his coattails and all that sort of stuff, and the French abolitionists and all those sorts of people. You know, they're the architects of the abolishment of slavery, and they didn't have Africans saying, listen, you know, we have rights, you should abolish slavery. No, it came from out of their own heads you know, unpushed. Um, so they didn't have, you know, African-Americans or anything, those men and women of the European Enlightenment, um, they didn't have African-Americans trying to educate them in the idea of the abolishment of slavery. In fact, Africans worldwide believed in slavery by and large, just as much as Europeans did at the time, and just as much as anybody else did, except for people who didn't need slaves. Yeah. So, you know, it was really the Europeans and the English, really, that came up with the abolishment of slavery, as far as I know. And there are a couple of examples way back in history of, you know, uh, narcissists freeing all the slaves. I always think of Cyrus the Great, you know, and all that sort of stuff, but I don't know if that constitutes, you know, a push in the direction of worldwide abolishment of slavery. I think that came from Europe more during the European Enlightenment. And, you know, white blokes should get a tick for the idea of getting rid of slavery, and they didn't get any help from anyone except Jesus, you know, and Socrates. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. All right, so there's that. Um, however, um, what did happen um, is uh, they said, yeah, look, we'll do away with slavery. But um, they, you know, 
they said all the right words, but then they then they didn't do all the right things, and they pushed ahead with colonialism anyway, and rigging the entire world economy, you know, and rigging the entire world social order, and rigging the entire world political order, you know, in their own favour. Yeah. And of course, anyone else would have done the same. You know, we learned that with OPEC, for example, when all the Middle Eastern countries, you know, tried... Well, they've been doing that ever since the 1970s, trying to rig the world economic order when it comes to oil. You know, so everyone gets into that, you know. Um, uh, probably the most evil thing the Europeans did was get a chance to do it, you know, um, by, you know, by, by dint of, by virtue of... You know, all the technological advancement and all the riches that gave them, that gave them a chance to rape and pillage the world, just like anyone else would have. Yeah. Um, and it gave them a chance to rig the world in their own favour, just like anyone else would have. But um, whereas I don't think Martin Luther King can take credit for you know those sorts of things, you know the ideas of. That, that are embedded in his speech. Look, there are ideas embedded in his speech that didn't come from directly from the European Enlightenment, but the essential structure of his speech, he should have said, I'm about to give you a speech called I Have a Dream, and it draws, you know, and I'd like to acknowledge my sources and um, pay homage to the European Enlightenment thinkers uh, for even giving me a chance to even have this dream. You know, it would never have occurred to me had it not been for them. You know, but then he could have said, however, even beyond what they said, you know, you know, because they educated me in all this sort of stuff, liberal thinking, you know, um, uh, and I don't mean liberal in the American sense, uh, you know, the modern Democrat sense. I mean liberal, liberalism, you know, liberalism. Everyone on the left and the right is a liberal. In, in the modern world, you know, because it's not a divine right monarchy, all right, that, yeah, we're all, we're all small L liberals, whether we're conservatives, or whether we are, you know, in the modern world, we're all small L liberals, forget this capital L versus small L stuff, we're all small L liberals, and, and you know, and the right should not cede the word lowercase liberal um, to the left, you know, the conservatives should not cede the word lowercase l, you know, liberal to the progressives. Both sides are liberals, and no one should allow the other side to have that word. Right, that said, um, uh, Martin Luther King, um, yeah, liberalism has its fault. Liberalism itself has its faults, and that was well debated in the early 20th century, I hear. Um, yeah, uh, by Americans especially, I think they were big a big deal in challenging the idea of liberalism itself. That is the left and the right, you know, conservative liberalism and um, the other one, progressive liberalism and all that sort of stuff. Um, and even civic, you know, there are anarchists who say do away with civics, you know, which which means do away with civil rights. You know, uh, can an anarchist listen? to a civil rights leader, you know, because to be a civil rights leader, you have to acknowledge that, you know, the, um, the civil structure is, um, is something you adhere to in order for you to be able to 
be equal under that civil structure. You know, the anarchists will say something completely different and will say, throw it all away. You know, we don't believe in civil, you know, like the anarchist doesn't believe in civil rights because they just want to knock off the entire civil structure you know, and have none or something. Um, but anyway, back to Martin Luther King, plagiarist. Look, he's not entirely a plagiarist, I'm sure. None of us are. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of his thesis would have been his own work, but a lot of it wasn't. Now, a lot of his speech, he really should have acknowledged the European Enlightenment thinkers, I think, you know, for um, giving him the basic ideas of what all that was about, you know, just the idea, you know. Um, you know, because back in the old days, um, it wasn't a case of um, that um, slave masters believed in slavery and um, and slaves believed in the abolishment of slavery. That wasn't the way it was at all. You know, really, on any continent, um, the rule in the heads of people was that the slave master was glad he was a slave master and um, but believed in slavery itself and the slave also believed in slavery but wanted to be the slave master and wanted the slave master to be his slave to turn the tables yeah but no, no one really was for a long long time thousand years two thousand years no three thousand years nobody was thinking of actually getting rid of slavery because it was required as a, as a civil structure you know and, um, and, and really, it's European technology and industrialization and everything really that made the abolishment of slavery even possible in the first place. So thanks to the Europeans for that too. However, where the Europeans did a bad thing was they said all the right words, but they didn't want to give up <laughs> their privilege. <laughs> and who would in history? Nowadays, we want to give up our privilege, some of us. But back then... If you gave up your, what they call, white privilege back then, uh, you were only one thing. Yeah, and, that, and you were only that one thing in the eyes of white people, black people, brown people, and yellow people, and everyone. You were an idiot. You'd, you'd have to be an idiot. You'd have to have rocks in your head. You know? Like if England hadn't gone out, you know, empire building, uh, England wouldn't exist. So if they hadn't done all that stuff, you know, they would have been wiped out by the French. You know, there's all these other considerations. It wasn't just casual um, empire building. It was survival. You know, if I had my... You know, just before Napoleon, if I had my money on who was more likely to survive, the Wurundjeri tribe around here in Melbourne, or the English, you know, I would have put money on the Wurundjeris as having a better chance of survival than the English and, and all that stuff, you know. But, look... There, but um, but African Americans did have something to educate Europeans on, you know, Anglo's and all that sort of stuff. And that is, you know, the Anglo's sort of and the Europeans and everything. They came up with all the ideas, the Enlightenment ideas, um, you know, and kind of educated the rest of the world about those, including Africans and African Americans and all that sort of stuff. You know, Europeans educated. I think, and I really do, but I could be wrong, Africans and African-Americans and all that sort of stuff, um, on just the idea of global anti-slavery. And, and by the way, it's possible because we've invented industrialization. So take that on and, you know, it gives you a chance to get rid of slavery. How about it? You know, but when, um, 
when African Americans got a hold of that idea, uh, including you know, your Martin Luther Kings of this world, when they got hold of that idea, um, they said, um, okay, we're on deck with that, all right, we won't, you know, if we get a chance to enslave you, we won't, we're on deck. However, oh, hang on, you've rigged the world in your own favour. You've got white privilege and uh, we might as well be slaves the way it's all working out. Now, what's the difference between slavery and indentured labour, essentially, out of the frying pan, you know, into the furnace? Um, and, and on this, the experience of being um, in, the, um, in the oppressed camp, you know, what it feels like to be, um, have the world rigged against you, on that. Um, African Americans um, did a great job of educating people with white privilege as to what the problem with that was, you know, and and um, largely um, African Americans have um, appealed to white people to dig into your own enlightenment, and you will see from your own thinking. You know, look at your own thinking and you'll see that you've done the wrong thing by African-Americans, for example, and Africans worldwide, and everyone else who's had the world rigged against them. You will see. We're not educating you. We're telling you to use your own education. And I think um, Africans and African-Americans especially, African-Americans mainly, um, did have a good role in um, educating um, especially, you know, Anglo, white European Americans, on the idea of, hey, you've come up with the right ideas, um, follow through. You know, you said all the right words, but you didn't do anything. We're still ripped off. And, and we needed the civil rights leaders to tell us that. You know, it kind of reminds me, of, I think it was Mary Wollstonecraft. I probably am saying her name wrong. No, feminist, you know, a really early feminist. Um, during the Enlightenment, I think it was her, and um, and all the males in the European Enlightenment and the Scottish Enlightenment and in that other Enlightenment that was kind of the most crappy Enlightenment of all, the England one. Um, but, you know, still in an Enlightenment. No, I think, you know, they were the big push when it comes to abolishment, the English. Um, but the point is... Mary Wollstonecraft, you know, all the males were saying, you know, the rights of man, freedom for everyone, you know, liberté, egalité, fraternité, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and Mary Wollstonecraft kind of said, um, have a listen to yourself. You haven't realised that all those words, you, know, you haven't realised that they apply to women too. And even the really beautiful um, liberal thinkers of the time in the Enlightenment men, you know, it was kind of when Mary Wollstonecraft um, pointed that out, they went, how come we didn't think of that? Yeah? But these things are stepping stones, you know. Had the Enlightenment thinkers not thought how to make all men equal, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft couldn't have come up and said, uh, what about women? You know? And then, you know, later on, African Americans couldn't have cropped up and said, what about Africans? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that sort of stuff, you know. Um, you know, that might not have happened. And that goes back and back and back, all the way back to the ancient Greeks, who, you know, like democracy, for example, and plain old thinking, logically, you know. The Greeks said, oh, we've got a good idea, democracy. All Greek citizens, you know, the elite, should be able to vote on the outcomes of what's good for Greece, you know, or the Hellenic world or something, you know, or Athens, you know. And, um, and it was only later that everyone said, why does it have to be only Greeks? You know? Oh, because we are the master race, you know, <laughs> which they were, you know, at the time. Uh, but, um, but, and people say, oh, but that wasn't democracy. This is democracy. The Greeks didn't teach us anything. Well, they did, see, because they had to have invented, they needed to invent the idea amongst the elites for you to be able to expand that to apply to everybody. And Rome did that to a large extent, especially. Um, and then it grew from there. And now we kind of had this idea, at least, of worldwide suffrage and all this sort of stuff, you know, and, and, and women's suffrage and all that sort of stuff. Australia, the very first country in the world to have full political rights for women, you know, and that sort of stuff. We were the first people on the planet. Yeah. We've, got a, we've, got a, um, we've got one up on the... Our mates, our cousins are across the ditch on that one. They were the first people in the New Zealanders to give women the vote, but we gave full political rights to women before they did, you know, um, which includes, you know, the right to vote plus uh, the right to stand for office. You know. That came from South Australia uh, and then, you know, spread out into Australia upon federation, all that sort of stuff. But the point is um, the journey from being complete arseholes to being, you know, still arseholes but a little bit better um, is stepping stones and and the people who get us along the way are all good people because they're the best people in their times you know it's, it's like the worst people in these times is better than the best people in the old days and the worst person in these days says oh wasn't that person a bastard and you sort of say yeah but he was the best in his time you're the bastard even though you're better than him you know there's that yeah, there's some people who are complete arseholes in the modern age wanting to pull down the statue of Captain Cook when Captain Cook was at the high end of enlightenment in his age and these people who are saying pull down his statue they're kind of you know, in the cesspit of thinkers in the modern age you know, enlightenment thinkers in the modern age they're just going along with the flow and all that sort of stuff and they don't even know Yeah, a lot of them don't even know that Captain Cook um was long dead before even the first fleet got to Australia, you know, and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of things that go on and on and on, you know. And then he wasn't casually empire building, but he was kind of doing his job and he was a scientist and he was down here looking what, at the transit of Venus or something, moons and, you know, science and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, whole other story. Martin Luther King, plagiarist. Great man, um, full of full of admiration for him. Because he was great in this way, you know, an inspiration for civil rights. Um, but he was a dirty big plagiarist as well, so he should be smashed for that. Uh, but only technically. Let it go. You know, let it go. Because he's Martin Luther King. Yeah. And that, the I Have a Dream speech now, now that I know he's a plagiarist, uh, I, yes, I can hear the evangelist in that, where... Yeah, almost like a narcissist. He really is giving the impression. And that's what plagiarism all, is all about. 
See, it's only an impression, sort of. Well, actually, there's cold, hard plagiarism, but, you know, it's, it's an instinct. The plagiarist's instinct is to kind of pass off everything as um, coming from you. You know, where other people in all their grammar and in every, it's a habit of every time you say something to give credit where credit's due. To give credit where credit's due, um, it, it's this just a habit, you know, like if you say, oh, I heard a good idea the other day. You know, my goddaughter told me a great idea and I want to tell you about it. That's one way to say things. But the other way to say things is for your goddaughter to say something to you. You know, as happens to me, she gives me a lot of good ideas, you see, for my podcasts. Uh, you know, another approach is, you know, she tells you something, but you don't tell anyone that she told you that. You say, hey, I've had a good idea. I've had a good idea and I'm going to make an episode. I was just thinking yesterday. You know, that's what you say. I just had a thought yesterday. But you don't. You kind of don't mention that she gave you the idea. But the um, the... The honesty instinct is to have, and it's in every single thing you ever say, the honesty instinct is to just, just to always be in the habit of just naturally giving credit where it's due. And those people are nice to listen to, but um, I, don't, yeah, I haven't investigated Martin Luther King much, um, but, you know, I found out that he was a plagiarist on his thesis, and now that's pushed me along to that big speech that he did I have a dream and I don't think he's got that instinct of giving credit where credit's due I think he's kind of your evangelist you know Jesus works through me you know I have a dream that all men shall be free isn't that part of the French flag you know and all that sort of stuff you know he could have done some acknowledging there but Maybe that would have undermined him. Maybe that would have undermined him because you have to think about his audience, who are looking for the big inspirational leader, not the not the not the person sort of person who just speaks in reasonable tones. They need maybe his audience needed the fire and brimstone speech to get them all fired up and all that sort of stuff. Maybe they, his audience respond to that. You know, it's a difference. Speaking of that maniac. Churchill, it's the difference between Martin Luther King's inspiring speech, I Have a Dream, and Winston Churchill's inspiring speech, We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches. One of them, one of those, and these are two narcissists, maybe, I don't even know what a narcissist is. Um, my goddaughter does. Um, but um, a narcissist is, a, uh, yeah, don't worry about that, I don't even know what it is. Um, Look at, oh, listen to those two speeches side by side. And it's all about their audiences. It's not about them. It's not about Churchill. And it's not about Martin Luther King. There could not be two speeches that are more different from each other. They're worth having a listen to. Uh, you know, we shall fight them on the beaches. That's Churchill, you know, it was really, it was almost deliberately boring. Like, Massive. He sounded bored, and it electrified the um, the the English in the war effort because he was sounded so bored. Yes, we shall fight them on the beaches, and we shall never surrender. That's about as excited as he got, and he almost felt it almost sounded like he was falling asleep occasionally during that speech. 
Whereas uh, Martin Luther King, compare that. And, and therein lies the difference between their audiences, the African-American audience and the, the wartime English um, audience. You know, it electrified the English when Churchill almost put them to sleep. And there's psychology in that, I'm sure. But Martin Luther King, his audience, I have a dream that all men shall be free. You know, the whole evangelist thing. It's kind of interesting. You probably wouldn't want Martin Luther King to be any other way, even though he was a dirty big plagiarist, and you probably wouldn't want Churchill to be any other way. You know, an axe-wielding, homicidal, genocidal maniac. You need these narcissists to be exactly as they are, I think. Uh, but Churchill killed a lot of people, starved them to death, all those Bengalis, and Martin Luther King, a dirty big plagiarist. Missed the button. Let's try again. Won't press.